laurantes, laudantes, et benedicentes Deum. Amen. Adoring, praising, and blessing God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The introit for today's feast, Our Lady of the Senegal, is drawn from the first chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. Let us persevere in prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And all were persevering unanimiter, with one soul in oratione, cum mulieribus, with the women at Maria, Matri Jesu, and with Mary, the mother of Jesus. The text of this introit must be read and heard and sung, really, in a kind of seamless continuity with that glorious conclusion of St. Luke's Gospel that is given us today as the Gospel of this Mass. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And whilst blessing them, he departed from them and was carried up to heaven. What is St. Luke saying? Or what is St. Luke depicting here? According to tradition, St. Luke is an iconographer. He, he writes images using words. He gives us an icon of Christ, the eternal high priest, disappearing, as did the high priest in the temple on the Day of Atonement, disappearing into the heavenly holy of holies beyond the veil. And from this same heavenly holy of holies beyond the veil, he will emerge like the high priest on the Day of Atonement at the end of the age. The church lives between these two liturgical moments, the disappearing of Christ, the eternal high priest, into the heavenly holy of holies, and his blessed reappearing as judge of the living and the dead. And St. Luke goes on giving us a portrait of the church after the ascension, and they adoring. What is the first thing the church does? After the ascension of our Lord, the church adores. 
And they adoring went back into Jerusalem with great joy. And they were always in the temple. This little phrase in the temple has kind of veiled theological significance. St. John, the theologian, tells us that when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I shall raise it up, he was speaking of the temple of his body. This word temple in this context means that the church is the body of Christ, the living temple. And they were always in the temple. To use the Pauline expression, they were always in Christ. Doing what? Praising and blessing God. And St. Luke closes his gospel with that heavenly liturgical word, Amen. What does the church, the body of Christ, do while awaiting the manifestation of her head in glory at the end of time? What does the bride of Christ do so long as she yearns for the wedding feast of the Lamb? She adores. She gives expression to her joy. She is always in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Here is St. Luke's icon of the Ecclesia Orans, the church at prayer. And this is the very icon that the Holy Ghost labors to reproduce in the monastery. In fact, we have it depicted. It's a pity that our icon, pardon the Seneca, was so small. I dream one day of having uh, a very large one written for the monastery. But until then, uh, we have this little icon of Our Lady the Seneca, which is a depiction of the interior life of our monastery. What is a monastery but a microcosm of the Church Catholic? The Ecclesia adorans, the Ecclesia jubilans, the body of those who are semper in templo, always in the temple, laudantes et benedicentes Deum, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now what makes this Semper, always possible. Or rather, who makes it possible for the church to persevere always in prayer? Mary does. Mary does. The presence of Mary makes perseverance in prayer possible. Without Mary in our midst and at our side, we would grow weary and listless, and so lose the virile spirit of perseverance 
in prayer. Who is she that comes forth as the morning rising? Bright as the sun, fair as the moon, terrible as an army in battle array. So often prayer seems futile or empty or just not worth the effort. At moments such as these, we must turn to Mary, confident that she, when we are incapable of praying as we ought, Romans 8, 25, 26, 27, that when we are incapable of praying as we ought, Mary will pray in our stead. This is what we mean when we say, pray for us. And gradually, almost imperceptibly, when Mary prays for us, she draws us into her own prayer until, as if by surprise, we find that we have persevered in praying after all. I've grown really to appreciate the fourth window of Our Lady in, in the oratory, the omnipotentia suplex. Mary with her hands raised in the orans position, she's the icon of the church. She's praying with a certain majesty and serenity at the same time. The Dutch artist who made that window had profound spiritual intuition into the mystery he was trying to depict with colored bits of glass. And the inscription, omnipotentia suplex, supplicating or suppliant omnipotence. This is the mystery of Our Lady of the Cenacle, drawing us into her own prayer. Resolve never to pray apart from Mary. Her presence in the Cenacle was a living flame of love. I used our Lord's expression in reference to St. John the Baptist this morning in chapter. Our Lady is that Ardenset Lucens, the lamp that burns and gives light. Our Lady of, in the Cenacle was a hearth of fire and of light in the midst of a community bewildered by the mysterious ascension of the Lord. Absent but present, and present but absent. The Lord was already in these days before Pentecost schooling his church in the prayer of faith, a persevering prayer that goes on seeking his face. We will hear about this and sing about it tomorrow in the intro to the Mass, Sunday in the octave of the Ascension. It is thy face, O Lord, that I seek, 
a persevering prayer that goes on hoping even when the object of one's hope seems far removed. Think about it for a moment. Just how was our Lord present in the cenacle after his ascension? He was present, first of all, in faithfulness to his promise that where two or three gather in his name, he would be there in the midst of them. Not only two or three, but the mother of Jesus and around her the twelve. She is there the abbess of the apostolic college. He was present to, in his own words, repeated, remembered, and held in the heart. He was present, yes, in Peter, in Peter, who in spite of all his weaknesses and failings remained the rock chosen by Christ. And he was present in John, the beloved disciple, Dare I call him the proto-monk. John, in whose heart burned an inextinguishable fire of love, the one enkindled at the Last Supper, when for the first time Jesus fed him with the mysteries of his body and blood. And he was present in the silence, in the face, and in the voice of his virgin mother. Jesus bore a physical resemblance to his mother. Not to Saint Joseph. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost in Our Lady's virginal womb, St. Joseph had no part in it, so there was no physical resemblance to St. Joseph. There was only a resemblance to his mother. And I often think of this, that when the apostles wanted to remember the face of Jesus, they looked at the face of Mary. Mary is the pillar of faith against whom every lie, every temptation, and every heresy is smashed to pieces. And finally, Jesus was present in the cenacle, in the bread to become his body, and in the chalice of wine mixed with water become his blood. What must Our Lady have felt when in the cenacle she beheld, lying before her on the table, the very table at which our Lord had instituted the sacrament and sacrifice of his body and blood, what must she have felt when she beheld, lying before her on the table, the very flesh of her own flesh and the very blood of her own blood? Her maternal heart 
leapt in recognition of the Lamb. The table had become her altar and the cynical itself her holy of holies. Here was her son, the very fruit of her womb, the Jesus whom she had carried and nourished and washed and clothed and kissed. Here, veiled by the sacred species, was the face that disappeared from her sight on the Mount of Olives when he ascended. Here, beating with a passionate love for his bride, the church was the very heart that she saw pierced by the soldier's lance on Calvary. There is but one way to persevere in prayer, and that is by remaining close to Mary. Distance from Mary is distance from the church, and distance from the church is distance from Christ. I should say here that not all who appear to be distant from Mary are distant from her. Mary makes herself close to those who love her son. Where Mary is, there too is the Holy Ghost. To abide with Mary is to abide under the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. To withdraw from Mary's presence is to withdraw from beneath the overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. It is to choose sterility over fecundity, self-assertion over obedience, and fleeting things over the imperishable treasures of the kingdom of heaven. One who remains close to Mary will grow in humility of heart. And one who grows in humility of heart becomes like a vessel hollowed out, emptied out. Tom Finian would know about this from his wood turning when he makes the hollow in the wood ready to be filled to overflowing with the sweet and fragrant anointing of the Holy Ghost. In Antiphon, in the office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, places these words in her mouth, Ego placui altissimo cum esem parula. I was pleasing unto the Most High because I was so little. Humility draws down the grace of the Holy Ghost and an abundant outpouring of his gifts. Without humility, there is no hollowed out space into which the Spirit of God can descend. Humility prepares the dwelling of God in the midst of men. It was by her humility that the most pure mother of God caused the heavens to open over the church gathered in the cenacle at the third hour on Pentecost. It was by her humility, as much as by her ceaseless prayer, that Our Lady obtained the gift of the Holy Ghost at Pentecost. God resists the proud, but pours out his love upon the lowly of heart, indeed, as he did in tongues of fire 
and in a great wind. The Immaculate Heart of the Mother of God is the lowliest of hearts, free of all self-seeking, free of all reference to herself, and open, open to all the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And these were given her in such superabundance that the Church even now continues to receive all graces from her heart as from a pure and inexhaustible fountain. More than anything else, my prayer today asks that we in this monastery may never depart from Mary. You will find her today in the cynical, all silent and absorbed in adoration. Approach her as closely as you can. And if you are too weak, to make your way to her, ask her to make her way to you. She will do that. She is a mother. Hers is a maternal heart, and no weakness of ours repels her. On the contrary, Mary has for the weakest and most unstable of her children a tenderness that must be experienced in order to be understood. Blessed feast, then, to each one of you. Blessed feast of Our Lady of the Senegal, Abatissa Nostra, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.